Welcome to the Red Bra Project Podcast, where red bra moments live. I'm Renee Bouse, founder and co-creator of the Red Bra Project. Each week, my co-host Shauna and I bring new conversations from amazing women all over the globe, sharing their stories of hope, wisdom, inspiration, and power, right alongside of grit, sweat, resilience, beauty, and tears. These stories help to elevate and inspire your life, creating a positive ripple effect. Get ready to feel the energy, motivation, and self-assurance to rock your everyday. We are so excited to have you join us. Let's do this. everybody welcome back to the red bra project women crush wednesday this is episode 39 in our series and before i get to our beautiful wonderful guest tonight i'm going to throw it over to that beauty in pink over there hello renee oh you noticed my color we're going to talk about this color later with our awesome guests i know i'm such a nerd i kind of wore the color of the night but um Shauna, you color, your, your shirt looks beautiful, blue. That's a great color. Bring out the eyes tonight. <laughs> ah, I like, I like. <laughs> so yeah, we're so excited about tonight's guest. So. Oh, yes, so um, coming to us from the West in the beautiful state, we were just chatting about it, Utah. I'd love to introduce our guest, Miss Rachel Barker. Rachel, I'm gonna turn it over to you for a minute to, to kind of tell our guests a little bit more about you. Well, hello. I'm so excited. I'm coming from today. Our high is 100. In the desert. It's a little bit warm. Um, I have a St. Bernard out there that I, that she just wants me to let her go so she can go jump in the pond. And I, I, I you know, sometimes they're a little bit scared when she gets over there. They think she's like Cujo. So I said, no, we're not going to let her go today. But um, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me as a guest on your show. I, like, I've looked really forward to meeting with you. I was able to speak with Renee last week. And I love, um, I love your platform and I love what you're doing. Um, I think we're very like-minded in that sense. Um, we really, my, my whole goal when I started um, building events and retreats and empowering um, women was really just to see the end result. I could see the end result. I felt the end result and I knew that other people could get there. It just was um, kind of creating a path for them to do so. I always say um, there's times that people kind of have a mapped out path. There's directional beacons. And I think for most women that are trying to, to build themselves up and to do something and to live out their dreams, a lot of times we dig our own path. So it's not necessarily, it's directional. We're headed the same direction. It just takes us a little bit longer to get there because we are doing it ourselves and I'm carrying a lot of bricks on our back as we do it. That is a perfect analogy. And I think we can definitely agree and resonate with that, that theory. So we are just, I mean, I know, like you said, you chatted with Renee last week and I've only gotten a glimpse into to your work, which she is so excited and shared so much. And um, can you tell us just a little bit more about how you've worked to empower women and, and kind of go from there? Yeah. Um, I, so Younger, uh, so I share a, there's a, a live stream uh, of a talk that I did um, this past year. It was called, it's called Cage Free. And I think that most people, I, I'm not even going to generalize it to women, but most people in general, there are obstacles that hold them back. And I refer to those obstacles as a cage, something that cages us, that we're not able to either have a voice or do the things that we want to do because there's something that holds us back. Uh, my, my childhood a lot, had a lot to do with my voice and my, my father had multiple sclerosis and he, um, I did not ever know him to walk. He, 
And as a child, I really didn't have the ability to have a true childhood. Like my, the things I were worried, the things I was worried about was not, you know, whether my ponytail holder was in place. It was more that, you know, was the disease going to kill my dad? How quickly? And so I was never really able to live that carefree life. And um, I, therefore, I had a lack of control. And in that lack of control, I felt helpless and um, not seen and not heard. Uh, one of the things that I mentioned with her is I think that, three, that there's three things that people want in life, and that's to be seen, to be heard, and to matter. And I think when I was younger, I know that I mattered to a certain extent, but I just feel like that there was so much going on with my dad and his illness that it was hard to be a child and to be seen and to be heard and to really show up, you know? So as I got older, I really fought for that um, ability to control. And in that, in that sense, I, uh, after my dad died, he died when I was a senior in high school. And um, after that time, I just really, my, my ability to trust other people and really my ability to trust God really dwindled. I um, had a difficulty making relationships that were like, that I wasn't guarded and my walls weren't up. And um, it was all about control. If I could not control, I was not going to enter any type of relationship. And I think that, that it, with that, I, I um, developed an eating disorder that spanned over 20 years. Uh, because those things that you can count on, those things that you can control, were the things that you, you know, those relationships. And my relationship, what I thought was a relationship with food, I could control. It was really like, I mean, the irony is in an eating disorder, you don't have control. You just are trying to grasp control of the things you can. I, um, I mean, and I would love to say that I didn't shake a lot of those, uh, that I have, you know, gotten past a lot of those control issues. But, you know, still to this day, I have a lot of obsessive control. Like my house, my, you know, my house is always in order. Um, when it gets in disarray, it kind of starts anarchy. And so I knew that I wasn't the only one. I think that control is one of those things that a lot of people face. I think that the more they feel out of control, it really merits what kind of behavior they're showing. And in me trying to understand myself, I developed you know, this way to be able to help other people know, hey, you're not alone. And when you're not alone, you automatically build a tribe. When somebody thinks that you understand them, you build a tribe in saying, oh my gosh, someone gets me. And not that I want to quantify or compartmentalize people, but I, I feel like there's two categories of people, people that get it and people that don't. And, um, you know, like that, I, I talk to my kids and my friends like, oh, she gets it. Oh, she doesn't get it. You know, and so it's not that I mean to do that and mean any, you know, disrespect, but I think that we all get what I'm saying when I'm saying, you know, she gets it. And there's a lot of people that, you know, talk over you or that, that you – they're not even relatable at all. And I think that that, like, especially with social media and with our neighbors and in any type of a culture or religion, I think that our ability to try to belong, like Brene Brown says, is, is re really what all we want to do is we want to belong and be accepted within our, and be ourselves, to be able to be accepted in the way that we, you know, are. So we want to change that, be, you know, not necessarily not change behavior, but change who we are fundamentally. Oh. So many good things right there. I mean, I'm just like, wait, I need to talk about this and this and this. But um, Rachel, you hit on something. Well, first of all, when you opened up, I think that one, that's a really great point that, especially for women, just given our gender, sometimes when we have a goal in mind, we become so laser focused. And, you know, we end up going down that path, like you said. And sometimes 
you know, wearing off may feel very stressful and intimidating. We may not even be aware that we can kind of um, meander off left or right and go into a different, a different path. And, you know, you talked about this a little bit about stories and we do have many stories, each one of us. And the thing is, I think the really important thing is just like one path doesn't define us, one story doesn't define us either. I mean, we are constantly evolving. And so having the ability to be able to change paths and directions and your story evolves. So this same story that, you know, somebody shares that you tell when you're a child is going to look different than when you tell it 20, 25 years later from a different perspective. And it's just incredible. It can be the same story that you retell and tell, but you have all of these new key learnings. And I think you do such an incredible job of bringing light to that and helping people to realize that too, and not letting their story own them, but teaching them how to um, be, I guess, grateful for their story. And I think that that's one of the things that is, if I, I mean, if I could give something away and if somebody took anything away is that your story, good or bad, it's your story. There's nobody else that owns your story. It's okay to have your story and still be all of these other things. But it is a place. If you, it's just like when you read, you know, Great Sir's Raft. If you take out one piece of the story, the story's not the same, mm-hmm. even in the bad parts. And so I think that I've looked at mine and the shame, that's, I think that what you're saying is that even though there's things that maybe we're ashamed of, it brought us to where we are right now. It was crucial in being able to go forward. And I think that that's really the point that I'm trying to get across. Yeah, and or hurtful. So even the things that, we at the time felt so beaten down about or just you know not able to see the ends and not able to see the lights or where this was going to go you look back and you realize how strong you really were and i know you mentioned that in kind of our pre-interview uh chat that we had or a questionnaire that we sent out but you know that was something that you mentioned that was unexpected was you realized how strong you really were and also i think when you reflect back on things, when you're in it, it's really hard to have retrospect. It's like you are in the, in the depths. And, and a lot of times, especially when you're going through something, you really can't see the good that you've done because you feel like you're failing. You feel like you're, you're just trying to catch your breath. And one of the, I was listening actually to um, Rachel Hollis's um, Don't Apologize, Girl, Don't Apologize today. And one of the things she said that, that really resonated with me is that in, in my lack of being able to do that, I couldn't see where I'd, I'd come. I, I hadn't seen the people that watched me that maybe I didn't know were watching me and my children that were watching me that I didn't know were watching me. And like sometimes they'll say things like, Mom, remember when you did this? And I'm like, oh, I remember. And then it's like I had the, the greatest inability to say, You're, you've done a lot. Look what you've done. Look where you've come. And so I think that I'm not alone. I think a lot of people struggle with that, um, being able to see what they've done. And like even in the littlest of things, it's a great celebration, especially when you, you know, when you had such a difficulty owning anything, any, any celebration is going to help you want to go further. Just like a to- I say, we all kind of are a toddler at heart. I think if you tell somebody you cannot do something, their inner toddler is going to fight to do it. I'm no different than a little toddler. I think that it's such a valid point. You said it was your son that pointed that out to you. or um, No, because when, when we're in the moment, like you said, it's it's such tunnel vision. We can't see anything else. You know, like, I mean, this year I went through all this stuff and I'd be on the phone with Renee and she'd be like, these are the 8 million things you're doing well. So you got to focus. And so I think 
you know, who are the, besides your family, um, but who are those other people that lift you up like that or help you through that? Who are those people or women that help empower you? Um, maybe when you're going through something like that, I know I leaned on Renee a ton and still do, but I think that this is a part that is misunderstood a lot of times with people, especially people that are in front of a camera a lot or people that are in front of an audience a lot. Your tribe, you are part of many, many tribes. Mm-hmm. However, from like your inner, the, your inner workings of who you would go to with your issues really is small. It's oh, not. Yeah. And, and so I have a friend that like is going to go to and I'm her go to like, you know, it's kind of like the on Grey's Anatomy. She'd be my person that would help me bury the body. She's that, <laughs> she's that gal. Um, and her name's Melissa. I've known like I met her when I was a, I was a server. So what I do is um, my husband will work during the day. And we kind of tag team when you come home, I either go and serve or cocktail waitress or like I, this is the funniest thing, but I probably, I'm probably the only Mormon bar bartender that I know. I've never, I mean, besides, you know, like I, that's how, and it was the, I'd get there at six and I'd be able to get home and I'd make the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time. But I was training her uh, as a server at Tony Roma's and that's where I met her. And I met her about um, 23 years ago, 22 years ago. I met her and she just has been my ride or die. I like we, and she's the type of person that we, in fact, last week I went with her to, she says, Hey, do you want to drive to Montpelier, Idaho to see my high school production of Annie? I played um, Miss Hannigan and um, I want to go see that, how that other person does. And I'm like, yeah, because it's not about the play in Montpelier, Idaho. It's about the drive. It's about the conversation. And it's literally about the loud music and us not having to say anything. And I'm not having to check that oil all the time. How are you? Are you all right? Do you feel like you're getting the value? Are you okay? Like we literally can sit in silence for a long amount of time. And those people actually, those, those people are a lot to me because I think in a lot of other situations, I'm providing a service to other people saying, you're okay. You're okay. And she doesn't need to say that to me. I just know I'm all right in her presence. Yeah. That's really beautiful. <laughs> I'm like, that's the friendship that you want. My husband is that person for me on the day-to-day, all that, you know, we, we literally, I was married at 19. He was 20. I've been with him for 26 years. So I like with him, it's like, he, you know, when you just have a look and he's like, she's going to unravel and he gathers (laughs) the kids and let's go for like tonight. He knew that, um, if, you know, if I wasn't in the home by myself, chaos would probably erupt and, you know, he, took everybody and my one son's at football practice my other one went with him and so he just gets it you know he knows what I need and um knows you know whatever love language that I have that I'm needing at that moment and I feel like I do the same for him so it's a great partnership and I would say Miss Melissa I call her Missy is my second my second person so Rachel you have been speaking nationally for 17 years and I know you have you have five children, so you've been a mom, a wife, a best friend, um, a role model for so many women, uh, a public figure, and you know you have a background in nutrition as well, and I mean, just lots of balls going, and I love it, very multi-passionate. Um, with that, you know, along comes fear, and I feel like this is something that when you're struggling with it, you're really struggling with it until the light bulb goes off almost, and then kind of like you get the key in the light bulb for, for many women and men can be different things. You know, what makes it click for Shauna may be different for me and maybe different for you. Um, but what is one thing that you've kind of found as a tool that helps you tackle fear through many different occasions? 
You know, I, I feel like that I would be a liar saying that fear doesn't come and creep in there often. It does. I, in fact, this morning, you know, I, I just did this event and I posted it and went live and instantly I went into that like, oh my gosh, I hope people come. I hope that, oh, what, I hope they, and I, I went kind of, you start to turn inward and inward. And one of the fat, like with anxiety, fear, is that I have to be super present what's going on right now. And in order to get there, I go back to the senses. What can I smell? What can I hear? What can I taste? What can I see? And with that, I'm very quickly where I'm, you know, whether it be in my bed when I'm waking up in the morning, if it's I'm on the treadmill at the gym, really quickly I come back to where I am right then. And those things on that treadmill at that very moment, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this really, really well. And then I'm going to get to the next thing. Because I, I think that that word multitasking or I got all this stuff. It's such to me that as a person that wants to do everything at a hundred percent, it gets overwhelming really quickly. And so what I have to do is come back and I've got to focus on the one thing. When I do the one thing, then I've got to focus on the other thing. And I think that that's what I think multitasking is a great idea but I don't think, I think it's a myth. I don't think that when you multitask, you're doing things how you want to. You're juggling a lot of balls. And if someone reaches in and grabs one, they're all going to fall. And I learned that really quickly. And I think that when I, I worry about things, one of the things that I mentioned in my talk is that I'm so afraid of people leaving or dying. My dad died young. I knew that that was a, a a possibility my entire childhood and so when my husband goes on a flight like he travels 60% of our marriage and so he's gone a lot and when he flies the first thing that he does is as soon as those wheels hit the hit the ground and he's able he'll say I'm, I've landed and I can breathe and I can go again so I know that a lot of people deal with those triggers and the fears and you know when my kids drive at night I just say you know there's a reason for a curfew the curfew is not because I don't trust you. I'm scared of what will happen if you don't tell me where you, you know, that you get to work or you're leaving. And it's just basically providing those safety zones that will make you feel okay. And those are the things that make me feel okay. I don't know about other people, but in knowing those little teeny like checkpoints, those make me feel all right. And I have to, like that, that verbalization in your head, that little dialogue that's going on, you can create a catastrophe very quickly up there if you're not saying you know you're all right you're all right one of the things that I faced a couple of weeks ago I was, I was going to San Francisco and I always pack my makeup I'm afraid that my makeup's going to get lost and as, as I was going through the checkpoint I'd also pay, um, packed my protein powder in some baggies and I didn't want you know because I wanted to have something to eat you know that was that to keep on my you know eating regime or whatever yeah, yeah. but when I got there, they thought that that was um you know a bomb threat and as they were going through, I felt ultra violated. Like they were going through my stuff and they're just like to an OCD person, you can imagine just, what are they doing? Ah, and my I don't even want to pull my laptop out. I'm like, it messes up the packing. I just oh, And you're just like, don't do that. Don't do that. And so as I watched them do that, I just thought, you know what? I had to, I had to do that in a dialogue. They're, they're protecting you. They're protecting you. They're protecting you. These are here for your safety. It's going to be all right. You can rearrange your me. And I literally was doing this in my head. And my husband could see the conversation in my head. And so when it was all said and done and I had my backpack and I put everything together, he goes, hey, let's go really quickly. We have, a, you know, we have a minute to go get a drink. You can put your makeup back how it goes. And just having somebody that gets it, that, that like knows that I need a minute, like, you know, I need a minute to, to be able to, you know, 
get back to things is such a big deal to me. And other people don't know that. That's the thing that I've got to remember is when you're going through this stuff in your head, never do you know what's going on in someone else's life. I always use this thing that says, you know, this guy's on the subway and his kids are completely out of control. They're jumping up and down and they're acting crazy. And the people on the subway are like looking at him like, come on, man, like get it together. And he's like, you know, I'm so sorry. I just don't know what to say. I, they, I lost their mom today. She died of cancer. And I just don't know how to tell them. You have no idea what is going on in someone else's head and in their life. Like that, that's why mental illness is such a big deal right now is because it's not a surface illness. There's no scabs or wounds to indicate what's going on up there. And so I mean, really, I'm really, um, I, I empathize a lot with, with people that are going through that. And I'm super aware of what, you know, what may be going on. I work, I work 15 hours a week. I work for family medicine. It's my provable, my provable income. But I've worked with this set of doctors for over 12 years. And, and in doing that, I have a lot of patients that sometimes their behavior, you're like, what in the world? Where would that ever fly? But I think that, you know, with these things that we hold tight to our chest, our money, our health, our food, and our hair, right? <laughs> I don't think any of those things that ever are compromised, people don't act like they generally act. And so I always try to keep that in mind when I'm dealing with them. But sometimes you have to like put their behavior in check and saying, hey, I'm a real person and I don't appreciate the way you're talking to me. I'm a mom. I'm, and if this was your daughter in this role, how would you feel if someone were speaking to her the way you're speaking to me? And very quickly, they meet you eye to eye. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. That's even like kind of going into a different conversation, but about boundaries and speaking in protecting your own boundaries because it keeps you in a good place, but then your family, your kids, your environment as well. And, you know, you're right. If somebody is, is doing that, you, we do have um, the, the freedom to speak up, you know, as long as we are comfortable with that and we don't keep saying, oh no, I won't say anything. I'll just deal with it. I'll just accept it, you know, because then that can create a whole other mess. So. Well, I think it's important too to not join them in their chaos. Right. Like I think that whether you're a facilitator in any respect, or if you were somebody that like a teacher or anything in that that are in that type of a role, as soon as you join them emotionally, things are going to go downhill pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. I just I think you have such an amazing perspective, and I'm curious um, how this you know overlaps into your house. How are you teaching your kids to you know? have this, this courage themselves, this confidence. And, um, you know, cause you clearly, as you were growing up, you kind of had this fear constantly worrying and not having that control with everything going on with your dad. So how do you try and empower as a mom? This is an interesting question because I feel like the, I'm, I was a different mom to my daughter that's almost 25 than I am a different to an eight year old that I have. He'll turn nine next week. I mean, I was a different mom. I was, I was controlling, I was in the midst of my eating disorder. I was literally still suffering, you know, you know, trying to understand all of that. However, you know, I think that I was really blessed and I, you know, I don't want to like stereotype this, but I was blessed to get daughters first. And this is why I think that there's just this inner communicate, like they're very intuitive and they're sensitive and they kind of know without like, and they're a little less literal and so I think that they kind of got it. You know, when you were driving in the car and the tears are underneath your glasses and they're just thinking, they're looking at you knowing, hey, she doesn't maybe want to talk, but just kind of just maybe put their hand on yours. And so I think they got it when they were younger. And I think that um, 
as you know, by the time I got to my, you know, my oldest son and my youngest son. So there's an eight year gap between Andrew. So I have four biological children and then we adopted Noah. Noah is, there's an eight year gap before Noah and Noah um, was born in Oregon. Hence why we go back to Oregon every year um, and celebrate his, you know, getting him his, we call it gotcha. Um, and um, I think that having Noah, I, my kids were pretty conditioned to knowing she's going to lose her mind or, oh, this is safe to, so one of the things that I have a difficulty being is the silly mom. Oh, get you, get you, boom, boom, boom. I'm not that person. I, I'm not a wrestler. I'm not a tickle, tickle. I'm not that person. And um, my husband's, like, he filled that, that part. But I, that is chaos to me. So when people are rolling around and wrestling, and it always ends in tears. You know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm just like, stop, that's madness and anarchy to me. <laughs> I have to sit back and just like, you know, do the, it's okay. It's all right. It's okay in my head because it just is so chaotic to me. But when, when Noah came along, he really wasn't given the, the memo. He's very silly. And he's very, he, you know, I call him Noah-isms. It's when I drive into school and he will ask you like all of a sudden, like, I wonder why we don't fly. And I, in my head, I'm like, I don't know. That's a, I don't know. But I'm like, oh, good question, buddy. I don't know why we don't fly. Well, what if we could? Oh, I know we can't. We can't fly. We just, you know what I mean? Like, I want to be this like literal giver of information, but he is on a different level. He's very um, creative, very silly, very much. And he, his, um, like where he is in like the emotional sense, he's a little bit delayed emotionally. And I don't know if that's really a, a delay or if it's a gift because he gives everybody the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't hold grudges. On my bad days, when I'm running late, Noah has one speed. And it's not, my, it's not his fault that I'm late, it's me, but you try to hurry that along. And in those days, I'd love to say that I'm patient, and I'm, but he, I'm not. And, and right before you know, I, I'm driving on the way, I want to say, I probably ruined his morning, you know. And he's always forgiving, and he's always like, it's all right, Mom, I love you. And he's just so kind all of the time. And so he's taught me a lot about giving benefit of the doubt and to practicing the pause. That is the biggest thing that Noah has taught me. Delay your response. And I think that that has been a difference in so many different relationships in my life and in just working with him. Hang tight for a minute. Gather your thoughts. How's this going to be received? And that has really helped me with him. Because a lot of the times, you know, you'll be walking. You'll be driving in the car and he'll go, ah! and you're like, oh my gosh, you're off the road and you're like, why in the hell did you just do that? But you're just, that's, that's really, he just wanted to do that. And so I think before I get, like, I'm very, I try to be slow to anger where my personality was pretty quick to anger. I respond pretty quickly. And, mm -hmm. and he's taught me not to do that. I think I've learned more from my children than my children have learned from me. I honestly, that's an honest opinion. I think that they've, that I've learned far more from them. That's so beautiful. I have a best friend for Noah out here in Massachusetts. Um, my seven-year-old son sounds just like him. Like I'll forget the water bottle and he'll be like, it's okay, mom, just don't do it again. <laughs> well, Noah would probably add to that. I'll just drink my spit. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, all right. You know, okay. we just learned to roll. That's just the most profound things out of his mouth. That's beautiful. Mm. <laughs> 
I love that childhood, just curiosity and creativity and just the pureness. It's just so special. And yeah, that's awesome. Um, so we're going to talk about the color in the room tonight, Rachel. I would love for you to share a little bit about this year's, this is the second event year of the year, right? So this is, yes. So I have one in the spring and I have one in the fall and this is my fall event. And I, every event that I have has a different theme. It has a different demographic of people that I'm, and it literally is universe bound. I know that that sounds crazy for my control freak, but most of my inspiration will come either when I'm driving when I'm on the treadmill in the most, like when I'm not expecting them. And uh, I was thinking of our, like how stories really are a part of all of us. And um, I honestly, I had, I was looking at a pair of pink Converse and boom, the idea just came to my head and I, they were just these little hot pink Converse. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. And I thought of the acronym acronym and it was be the perfect you. Nobody knows. How many of us just disclose our real personality and who we are because we're afraid. We're afraid of what other people are going to think of us. We're afraid of like whether our story will shock someone or if it's like just this amazing story, but then if it's not amazing as that, then the rest of my life is just not as you know grandiose. So I think it's tied up in all of our stories and, and that's where I came up with that acronym. And so with that, I just tied in the color in every single hue, no matter what color of pink you show up in. It is really, you're telling a story, whether it's hot pink, baby pink, bubblegum pink. And it's, it's just really, I think that women have all of these um, stereotypes, but we're all just really, there's a softer side to us, the pink side of us. That is really the perfect, you know, the perfect you nobody knows. And so I've tied this into that story. So, so I call it the pink event. And um, the day of the event, everyone and everything will be in pink. So I think that, that it'll be really fun for the participants and it's definitely fun for me. Um, the people that are um, speaking at the event, I feel like are perfectly, I, I didn't come to hire them by, you know, by any, like it was not circumstance. It was literally by, I was drawn to them for the message that they're going to bring. And so I, in every one of my events, I try to tie in a, um, a service opportunity. And so even right down to the service opportunity, it was all literally came to me. It, like I didn't go after them searching them. It, they all came to me. And I think that that's what happens when you have a desire that is going to benefit more than yourself. I think that those things are not like, I call them tender mercies. Um, I think that they, are, they come to us really because of who we are going to touch. I, you know, there's other people and you don't even know to up until this date who has listened to you, maybe that you changed their trajectory. You have no idea. And that's really the ultimate goal is to make it an impact that will change what you're doing to make it a great thing for you and for those around you. Give people their mother back, give people, you know, their wife back. Because I think that sometimes when we get stuck, so do all those people in our tribe and they don't know what to do. And so I think by helping the mom, and the mom is really such a central unit in the family um, to be able to guide where, where people go and if they're all right in their life. And I think that's really what I'm trying to do is to repair that person that is that like nucleus of the family. I'm like, I don't want to cry. Like everything you say just resonates like in such a, it's a happy, positive way, but like. That's good, that's good. <laughs> tears. Um, yeah, I just, I, that's, that's so beautiful. And I think you're right that they're like, the mom is just that, that piece that sometimes 
people don't know they're broken because they're they're do, juggling all the the multitasking. They don't have that figured out. And um, so yeah, I think what you're doing is just amazing. So. I think two women. They tend to, you know, and I don't know what the process is called, and I'll probably get a ton of DMs saying, this is what the process is, but when we are broken, I, one time I was speaking with a counselor, and she became a really good friend of mine. In fact, I said, hey, I really want to be your friend. How do I be, how am I your friend? She goes, I can't see you for a year. Done. I'm not seeing you for one year, and we're going to be friends. But in that, that thing, she said, you know, there are alcoholics that perform their jobs really well every day. They, they go to work, they do a good job, and then they have this dirty little secret, they, they drink all night. She says, I believe that just like a functioning alcoholic, she goes, I believe you're a functioning broken people, a broken person. And you know, I don't think I'm alone. I think there's a lot of functional broken people out there. I think that we, but what the difference is, is between, as we're trying to repair, we feel like we have to find the seamless glue that no one can tell where the pieces are put back together. Well, there's, a, there's this ancient, um, this process where you actually make the glue bright gold so people can see the cracks, people can see the scars. And in that, they're able to see, you know, that she went through something. Look at this. She's put back together. This is a bowl that you can eat out of. But yet here's every single piece that's been patched. And I think that without getting into religion and to getting into a higher power, I believe that that's what God has put his son on the earth to do is to atone and to help us patch those holes, not to, not to like, like disclose our scars, but to show our scars, our wounds are what help other people. I believe that if I showed you that I wasn't a broken person and that I was always performing at this level, I would be unrelatable that you wouldn't be able to relate with me and therefore I would offer nothing for you. And the truth is I'm not put together. This makeup took me 45 minutes <laughs> and we are all like, I mean, I'm 46. There's a bunch of contouring that went involved that, you know, that's involved in this space. But to know that like I try to be as transparent as I can because that's what I like in other people. When I see the people that speak to me, those are what I look for. Once I find you relatable, I find that I'm amongst your tribe, even though you don't know it. And that's what I think as a speaker, you're doing them a disservice by saying, but not by not sharing your story because it's in your story. It's stories that connects us. They instantly, I can, I could give you all of this data and I put it on a table and literally it goes kind of, our mind will process some of it. But if I put in there, Hey, the reason why I started this data is my son had this and I did this and I did this and this is what helped me instantly. I'm engaged. Because you shared something, you made yourself vulnerable, you put a piece of yourself into that. And therefore, I think that's what people want from you. And it's not that I'm just mainly speaking because I know it's what people want. I know it's what they need. So many thoughts I'm having right now. <laughs> I know. It's just, everything's just kind of settling in. And I mean, you hit so many absolutely just true points when you sit there and you think about them and I, I love the bowl and I cannot remember where else I saw that but I saw a picture of it and I saw the outside of the gold and the cracks and that was something where you know where we don't we shouldn't hide our flaws we shouldn't hide our failures we shouldn't hide the things that we've gone through because they are you know that's what makes each one of us so unique and that's kind of what gets you to where you are today. And that's just so awesome. And I'm pretty sure that if we could clear our schedule, we're going to fly to Utah. And we're going to attend. Right. The people would love to therapy right now. 
I was like, how long do we not have to see each other before we can be friends? Because I need this. <laughs> so I feel like we are, yeah, you know, the, the thing on Step Brothers. Did we just become friends? Yes. <laughs> we did. So, yeah, I, and I think that that's the beauty of, um, you know, every day. So, Utah is kind of cloned the entrepreneurial capital of the nation. I mean, literally everybody designs and develops and thinks they can do it better. And we have literally 1 million bloggers that have 800 plus thousand followers. And I think that a lot of people are curious about our culture, but I think that we're, that a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of innovative stuff going on. I think that one of the things that's kind of um, disheartening to me when I look at like people that are called this, this new influencer concept, in that, I think that a lot of people that are trying to find guidance are, are watching something that, that is not real. It's not real. And we, you know, many times when they're speaking and they're doing lives and they're saying, I just want to be authentic. I just want to be authentic. I just want to be authentic. Sometimes I get a little bit infuriated because the irony is they're not being authentic. And so I, I, don't, I don't use that word lightly, being authentic, being the authentic you. I think it's being unapologetically who you are to the core. And who I am to the core is I swear. I make mistakes. I don't look like this every single day. And quite honestly, I have got 18 different Netflix series that are going right now, yet I choose to go right back to Friends because I know it. And it's that those people playing in the background that I could do a couple things while I'm listening to them. And so I could have four things or five things going on. And really where I long to be is in my bed watching friends. So that, that that's really true. And I think that, that, that once you start speaking on that level, that people find commonalities, then they can be real. And they can say, you know, this is where the struggle is. Here's where my struggle is. I'm not being a very good wife. I'm not a very good husband. I'm not a good you know, daughter. I'm not, you know, but I want to be. And I think that because you are in a certain state at a certain part of your life, you're not stuck there. You are not stuck there. But I think in this happiness generation, we are like, well, if I'm not happy, something's wrong with me. If I'm not always happy, something's wrong with me. And I think it's, we're, we're kind of going on a territory and chartered territory that we need to be careful because I tell my kids, you know, if you break up with your boyfriend, you're not going to be happy. You need to experience the loss. You've got to go through the process. You know, if I'm not in a good mood, I just can't just make a switch and it changed. There's a reason why we are not in a good mood or why we're not happy at that very moment. That doesn't mean that it's going to be a long-term thing. That doesn't mean that we're going to stay there. Where, where you go from there, it's really like a credit to who you are as an individual. But there are sad things that happen every single day. As a nation right now, we had these shootings that happened yesterday. We're not okay right now. There's no explanation as to why this is happening and it continues to happen. People lost their lives, lost their moms, lost their daughters and children that day. And honestly, we have no explanation for it. All we can do is mourn when it's time to mourn. We're happy when it's time to be happy. And one of my favorite podcasts, like recently, is that of um, Billy Bob Thornton, of all people. And he says, you know, I am a person that is 50-50. I'm 50% happy and I'm 50% melancholy or sad. And he says, when I'm 50% melancholy or sad, it's not that I'm going to stay there. I appreciate it. I appreciate that I'm able to feel that and that I don't have the obligation to quickly 
divert out of it because there's a reason why it's there. And another thing that he says is that I don't do everything well. I don't. But the things I do well, I do really well. I'm going to focus on those things. And I'm going to tell the same advice. I am not a crafter. I hire people for that. I'm not a designer. I hire people for that because I do the things that I do well. And I would encourage people, whatever it is that you do, man, hone in on that. You do well. Like, man, I can mow a lawn like nobody's business, man. It looks literally like a golf course. You could do the PGA tour the next day on that golf course. But if you ask me to weed, I don't want to. It's not that I don't do it well. I just don't want to do that. So that would be my advice. Do the things that you do well and be okay with that. I'm not meant to be, you know, those other things. We just, we, your purpose is so many different things, but don't try to sit there and be, you know, a snowboarder when you're like, I live in Arizona. Well, then don't do that. Try something else. So <laughs> take up sand volleyball. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or a cactus, cactus grooming. Yeah. You know, hey. right? yeah. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. So Rachel, I don't know if you know, but the red bra is um, kind of a symbol of confidence. So it's that moment that maybe you see it under your, or you see it above your clothes or it's hidden underneath, but you know inside that that moment that you came forward and you stood up was because you had that red bra supporting you and giving you the courage to do so. Is there a moment that you can think of where that red bra maybe creeped into something that you were doing in life? Yes. It's a little bit of a loaded question. Confidence is something that I've always been able to imitate. I would think that it was a perception that other people had of me that, however, very falsely accused, so to speak. Uh, I think that I was far. And I think that when you meet someone and they, their actions are speaking louder than words, their insecurities are too. And I would say that I'm no different than that person. Um, I would liken the red bra, the something that's underneath, to my figurative key. You know, I, I said that everybody has obstacles that are keeping you within a cage. Um, I believe there's a figurative key that is there to unlock it. And I, I attach my key and my red bra to both of those same things. And it was literally a moment. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a disclaimer. I, um, I struggle through this every single time. I've shared it many times. But it was such a big deal at this time. So one of the things that was really hard for me is to understand what kept me there. Why did I keep reverting back to the same things? Why did I go here when things got bad? And even when they're good, you know, they say a lot of addicts, they overdose at their happiest times. It's because whatever trigger, good or bad, sends you to a place. And this was no different for me. But when I got to this point, I really did look for something that was going to help me through you know, these hard times in my life. And um, it was my inability to love myself as a whole unit in my good and in my bad. And so I met with this person who um, said that they wanted to look at my heart and that they wanted to draw a picture or let me see what my heart wanted me to know. And she had this little easel and, um, and in that she um, just asked me some questions and most for like, I'm not kidding, seven minutes, which seven minutes is a long time for me to be quiet. My husband, I could never do the silent treatment because I'd lose the game. Like, I just, oh, this is stupid. I'm mad at you. Why won't you not? You know, like, I, I could never, like, play the silent game. So as I was listening, she was there. You know, it took her a long time. And so I would say it took about an hour for her to do this. And after it was all said and done, she explained her picture to me. And in the picture, she said, you know, for 
about seven minutes, your, your little heart was like a ping pong, ping pong ball. It was going all over, all over, all over. But after the, it was okay with the silence, it, this was what it said to you. And I'm going to show you. I'm, it's right here. It's, and I'm sorry, I'm going to leave the screen for oh, two go, seconds. Go, go, go. I love it. I'm excited. <laughs> I know. I'm, like, so I'm not taking it out of its little <laughs> package, but it's a heart. And on each one of the little, there's four clovers, and they're very symbolic. And she says, you know, I don't do flowers very often. In fact, I draw like a little heart and try to explain the heart. But yours was of a flower, and it has each one of the parts of the, um, of the body, the body, the mind, the soul, and the spirit. It has on each one of the leaves. And up here, it says, love thyself unconditionally. And when she got done with that, I was just like, I was a little bit, I, I thought, gosh, that was a long time of my time. And oh, I, I was a little bit annoyed. Honestly, I came home and I talked to my husband. He's like, that's cool. And then, you know, as it sunk in, I was able to reflect and ponder it. Um, there was this time that I said, you know, is this what I'm trying to say is, was I really like Dorothy the whole time where I knew my whole, my way home, the whole time was clicking these shoes but really it was facing myself and I did this practice for a long time. And every time there was tears and there's still tears. But what I do is I look in the mirror and I'd say, I love you, Rachel Barker. I love you, Rachel Barker. I will not leave you and I will not die. And I promised myself that, that no matter what happened, I would be here. I'd be here to support Myself, like I support so many other people. People come into my life all the time. And one thing, if they like me or they hate me, they will say, she's got you. There's been people that have said the meanest things about me who have later in my life come and asked for my help. And I never turned them away because I knew the courage that it took them to talk, like literally talk themselves into, they needed me. They were back against the wall. And I have found that a huge honor to be able to help them, even though they knew that they didn't deserve it, or they thought they didn't deserve it. And I think that I, I have to give myself the same exception, that even though for all these years I didn't think that I deserved this, that I deserved to be loved unconditionally, I had to give myself that same thing that people ask themselves every single day, otherwise I'd be a hypocrite. And I, I, I really found that and I still have to do the motivational speech to myself sometimes when I'm being mean. I have to, and the best way to relay that is, is that if I were speaking with any of my daughters and I said, oh my gosh, those jeans are way too tight. Why are you wearing those? Oh my gosh, you're, you know, your makeup's too much today. I would never say that to them, ever. I would never say that to another person. Why, am I, why do I say that to myself? And so I catch myself all the time. And it's in that self-talk. I've literally been able to accept my aging, my weight, my inability to run that mile in this amount of time. All of those things that I thought that I needed to be perfect at, I've been able to give myself leniency and grace. And it's because of that. That's what happened. Is so what I did is I figuratively, your red bra, I reached out and I clicked the cage and I stepped out. And I stepped out of the cage and I was able to stay out there. So the same as a red bra, I literally showed everybody my red bra as I, I stepped out. And that's what I did. I love it. I'm like, 
they're, they're welling up here and I'm really trying to not let the mascara do the Carrie Underwood. What is it? Nobody cries pretty. Oh, what is her yeah. album? <laughs> the steel magnolias. Nobody cries alone. Not my <laughs> presence. <laughs> oh, Rachel. Thank you so, so much. I mean, thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that beautiful story and just showing that others, I mean, everybody's struggling in their own way and hearing you share that story gives so much hope to somebody who's going through that. So thank you. Oh, you are so welcome. And really, I think that that's what your project is doing is the purpose. I feel like they, like what people need to know is your purpose here is to help them see themselves the way you see them. Like, see, like, I wish my daughters could see themselves the way that I see them. I wish my best friend could see them, what she's done for me, the way that I see that. And so that really is what you're providing hope, the hope they don't see right now. And, you know, people always say, well, you fake it till you make it. Sometimes in that dialogue, I had to fake that. I didn't believe that. And it was in doing that every day that, of that practice that I started to believe it. And that's the hope that is that these type of things provide. If you want to invest in anything, anything in your life, invest in getting on board with seeing, read the book, go see the person in, in, in real life, watch the video, the vlog post. Because if you don't, you are the one that's going to pay the price. And then your kids will pay the price. And then your husband will pay the price. Those little dreams that we have, we don't want to distinguish other or like like just put out that light that other people have and so by by faking it at first we're igniting that little that little flame that we can by now you can see it and and the outside world's going to come in and try to to put the flame out and you have to just keep keep the fire going put the logs on every time and it's going to be a practice that doesn't it's not a one time and you're done it's every day every day you have to do it and I think that that's what people need to know. That's the reality of it's not, you know, I'm going to give you a shot and you're going to be cured for life. You know, if you're a diabetic, you got to take the insulin every day. Yeah. I mean, I, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I cannot wait to share our chat with our viewers, with your viewers, with people who haven't heard of any of us yet and they need a story and this is going to touch them at just the right time. And um, for all of our viewers out there, thank you guys for joining us and tuning in and listening. And Rachel, before we sign off tonight, um, we end every episode with a quote for our guests. And tonight, your quote is, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Laos Su. And, I have it hanging in my bathroom. I wish I'll take a picture of it and send it to you. Do you really? my thing, and it's the one that I bought in our very first home. We bought a home and we built it, and I thought, what is like one thing that I can carry from house to house? That's serendipitous. I built seven homes, and it stayed with me since the very first one. I keep a little home that I very first built. I'll take a picture of it and send it to you guys. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that is incredible, and it was something that fit with your story and all different parts of it and your journey. And it's just so encouraging because thinking about it in those terms, just one single step, one thing, one choice, one, you know, standing in the mirror and saying it one time and maybe twice tomorrow, all of that, you know, it's, it's an incredible foundation and building block. So I, this was meant to be. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us thank tonight. You so I know Shona, you want to get it. Both of you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
Yeah, and before we close, Rachel, can you just tell our viewers where they can find you? I know we'll link all of that up too, but if you can share. So I am on Facebook as Rachel Smith Barker, and I'm on Instagram as rmbarker99. I'm holding a big lollipop in front of my face, so you so can't And then I also want you to know anybody that would love to come to the pink event. It is Saturday, September 14th. It's from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. It's local here to Leighton, Utah at Journey 5. It's a clothing store on one side and then one side that's a big event center that has its own story. That's why I picked it. I love the lady story that, that is offering that to me. We have some amazing guests and it has its own, um, the pink event has its own Instagram page and its own Facebook page. So on Facebook, it's the pink event and on Instagram, it's P-Y-N-K underscore event. And so you can find us all that time. Be my friend. Let's be friends. I'd love to be your friend. Let's be friends. Let's be friends. That's right. All right, thank you guys so much. We're gonna make sure to include all of the ways to contact Rachel in our follow-up blog posts on the Red Bra Project on our Instagram page at the Red Bra Project um, and give you all the good details. And please, if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's touched your heart or if you think of somebody that would really benefit from hearing it, please share, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We feature women um, throughout the month from all over the globe with all kinds of different stories. So. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate you, and we love you all. Have a good night. Bye. Thank you guys so much for spending some time with us on the Red Bra Project. We are so excited you stopped by. If the story resonated with you, if you could take one second and share it with somebody who needs it in their life, we would be so grateful. Stories hold so much power. We'd love to hear from you. So tell us what you think. Tell us what you want to hear more of. Come on over and say hi to us at The Red Bra Project on Instagram. You can check the full written blog posts on our website, theredbraproject.com. And every single one of our podcasts has a video to go with it over on our YouTube channel, The Red Bra Project. So thank you again for joining us, and we will see you soon.